to be forgiven of my sins. I want to be delivered from my iniquity. I want that abundant redemption to be a part of my life because I'm tired of trying to build an identity that won't hold when things get tough. It doesn't hold. And listen, we find all sorts of things to build our identity on, our career, our positions, our financial whatever, our education. It's amazing. The human heart knows no end to trying to find things to build itself on. But only Christ will do. There is messiness that happens in life when a person accepts that Jesus is the Messiah. You have to put aside your own plans and life maps and humble yourself to His plan. Our hearts on our own can lead us down a destructive path, but Jesus is the ultimate safety net. Even if it's not always easy, His plans end in life. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verse 32, with his continuing study entitled, A Special Foster Child. I don't think I'm being coarse either. I mean, try, to, try and put yourself in that moment. Long, I mean, this was before Joseph understood the whole thing, and we're going to see in a second that an angel comes and talks to him. This is before he had all the boxes checked and everything made sense. This was just like, okay, Mary's pregnant. This is not really that good. We're not even married. We've, we've never consummated our relationship. She's pregnant. You know, it's amazing. Listen to Luke chapter 1, verses 32 and 33. The angel Gabriel, speaking to Mary, says, He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. He will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him his throne. See, Jesus is almost a textbook foster child, but a special one had that. We're going to read later in the Gospels in Luke chapter 2 towards the end. Remember, they went over to the Passover feast when Jesus was in his early teen years. And they leave the Passover feast and they just expect that Jesus is in the midst of all of the people. Talk about community. You know, in our day and age, they would arrest Mary and Joseph for being neglectful parents. But they expected that Jesus was with everybody as they were traveling back. But he wasn't there, and they go searching for him, and they end up finding him in the temple courts, reasoning with the the priests. And Mary's all freaked out. She says, why'd you do this to us? And he said, don't you know I need to be about my father's business? He's saying, you're my parents, but I'm about my father's business. So Jesus was a foster child. Now, look at what happens. In verse 19 of Matthew chapter 1, So then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son, and you will call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. 
So Jesus is a foster child, but Joseph is concerned. Joseph is concerned. And you can imagine, rightly so, he was concerned. Mary comes, she says, I'm pregnant. It says in verse 19 that Joseph, notice he's called her husband. Because although their marriage wasn't consummated, it was illegal. He was legally her husband. It says that Joseph was her husband and he was minded to put her away privately. But being a just man, but being a just man did not want to make her a public example. So in Joseph's mind, he's legally married to Mary, but she's pregnant. And he's in a tough spot. He wanted to divorce her because according to Jewish law, having a child out of wedlock was punishable by stoning. So he's in his mind trying to figure out, how do I get out of this mess? How do I get out of this mess? But notice it says that he's a just man. He wanted to do it quietly. See, Joseph was in a hard spot because if he divorced her, there was the chance of her being publicly ridiculed, possibly giving up her life for what she's done. And if he marries her, he implicates himself as if they had sex out of wedlock. So Joseph's in a tough spot, and he's milling over this whole thing. This whole thing, he's trying to figure it out. I mean, Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1, listen to God's law. When a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because she has found some uncleanness in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house. See, this is where Joseph is. He's legally married. He hasn't consummated the marriage, and he's like, I either marry her, and then I'm in trouble, or I divorce her because she's pregnant and it's not mine, and she is publicly ridiculed. So he's mulling this over. He's thinking about all this. He's trying to figure out what to do. And I love the fact that it says that Joseph was a, a just man. He didn't want to make her a public example, you know? And it made me think of an application for you and I when you have to do something that's severe, do it in the best way you can. Sometimes you don't even have to do it at all. See, Joseph didn't want to make a big spectacle, throw it up on, on Facebook. Oh, Mary cheated on me. Oh. Picture of this little ultrasound. Not my kid with a arrow. <laughs> but Joseph was honorable. He wasn't trying to make a big deal. He was trying to protect her even though he felt wronged by her. He felt betrayed, no doubt. He felt this is not the way life's supposed to be. But yet he was a just man. He was trying to do it quietly. He was trying to protect her honor. No doubt he was concerned about his own honor. But he was tender in the way he went about what he was doing. I like that. And would to God that as his people we would learn from the justness of Joseph. That when we have to do something that maybe we don't like or, or isn't the easiest thing to do, that we do it in a way that's tender and kind, trying to let love cover a multitude of sins. So he wants to do this privately. And notice what it says in verse 20. While he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, 
son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. So Joseph's going to bed thinking about this, and in a dream, an angel shows up. It's one of the ways God speaks to people in the Bible, through dreams. Now, I don't know about your dreams. My dreams are kind of weird a lot of the time. But God uses dreams. He uses visions. He uses people. To Balaam, he used a donkey. God can use anything to speak to us. But he comes, sends an angel to speak to Joseph in a dream. Notice how he addresses Joseph. Joseph, son of David. See, he's linking Joseph up with Joseph's own lineage. See, he's saying, Joseph, you're a descendant of David. And all that's going to follow for Joseph is, Joseph, this is who you are. This is your pedigree. And you will be the rightful foster father for the Messiah because you're a descendant of David. See, it all links up again with the beginning of Matthew chapter 1. And what's amazing, he says, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Don't be afraid. Why? For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. He's saying, Joseph, Mary's not lying to you. The angel says, look, she's not lying. And I'm here to tell you, brothers and sisters, sometimes God asks us to do things that would normally make us terrified, but God's in it. God is in it. God wants Joseph to do something that doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense in his culture, but God is in it. And God's saying, listen, don't be afraid to marry this woman. She didn't do anything wrong. The child in her womb was conceived of the Holy Spirit. You can do it. And then he goes so far, not only to say, don't divorce her and marry her. Notice verse 21. And she shall bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. He says, not only not divorce her, marry her, and she's going to have a son, and I want you to name him Jesus. And Jesus is the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew Joshua, or more specifically Yeshua, which is a, a word that brings together two, Yah which is Yahweh, God, and Shua, which means salvation. Jesus means God, our salvation, or God, our Savior. Jesus' name is given to him before he's even born. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. This is the ministry of the Messiah. This is why we celebrate Christmas. It's because God sent his own son, born of a virgin named Mary, to come to save his people from their sins. And this is a quotation from Psalm 130, verses 7 and 8. Listen to it. Psalm 130, verses 7 and 8. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy, and with him is abundant redemption, and he shall redeem Israel from all her iniquities. I want to read that again. This is a beautiful promise from God. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there's mercy. And with him is abundant redemption. And he shall redeem Israel from all 
their iniquities. This is why Jesus is street level for us. Because God is abundant in his redemption. He is full of mercy. When you look at humanity today, you see a whole world of people, a whole globe of people trying to figure out how to navigate their own shame and guilt over all the mistakes they've made. I've gotten to travel to a lot of places and people are the same everywhere. Sure, they speak different languages. They eat different foods. They have different styles of living. But humanity's the same. Everyone's trying to figure out, how do I navigate who I am? And it's amazing the lengths we go to to try and cover our sin and our shame. One that's becoming increasingly popular today is the this is just who I am. Just live with it. It's kind of like the, the I'm sticking up my middle finger at the world kind of approach to, to shame. Deal with it. But you know what that is? That's just a very gregarious attempt at covering your shame. Because deep down, the only reason they're doing that is because they're hurting. And then there's Jesus. At street level for you and for me and for all who would believe would say, listen, you don't have to put on this show pretending like you're this, that, or the other thing, pretending that you have it all together. You don't have it all together. Just simply receive and build your identity on the reality that you are broken, but you are infinitely loved, that you do struggle every single day with yourself and the people around you, but yet God is greater and we hope in that God. It's so much easier to build your identity on the truth of who you are than some sort of image and fabrication of who you project yourself to be so that you try and navigate all the shame and all the guilt that you feel about who you are. And it's amazing how young this happens. What have you built your identity on today? Jesus said that if you build your life, your house on the rock that is Christ, No matter what happens when the wind and the waves and the trials of life happens, if you build it on Christ, that house will stand. Yeah, it might get weather beaten a bit, but it will stand. But if you build your house on sand, anything other than Jesus, anything other than who you truly are in the eyes of God, fearfully and wonderfully made, infinitely broken and filled with shame, but yet loved and redeemed, when you try and build on anything other than the finished work of Jesus Christ, when the wind and the waves and life struggles comes, that house falls. And a lot of us know what that feels like. When you build your life on something other than him who will save his people from their sins, separating the guilt, separating the shame. But notice, who does Jesus save? He saves his people. Are you his people? That's a personal decision. There's that old saying that coming to church makes you about as much of a Christian as being in a garage makes you a car. It's a personal decision. And I believe there's many, many of you in here today, you're watching it, you're in the chapel venue, you're watching online, that you haven't said, I am his people. I am his. I put myself on Jesus's team, in Jesus's family. And that's a personal decision. And we believe that that decision is an important decision. And so if you're here today and you've never said, I'm one of his people, 
Honestly, this is who I am and I am his. By the end of the service today, we're going to give you an opportunity to do that. And you need to do that. If you're at home, you do it right in front of your computer. You say, Lord, I want to be your people. I want to be forgiven of my sins. I want to be delivered from my iniquity. I want that abundant redemption to be a part of my life because I'm tired of trying to build an identity that won't hold when things get tough. It doesn't hold. And listen, we find all sorts of things to build our identity on, our career, our positions, our financial whatever, our education. It's amazing. The human heart knows no end to trying to find things to build itself on. But only Christ will do because he forgives us, sets us free, redeems us to be free to be the people that he's called us to be. So Joseph is concerned, but the angel comes. Now look at what happens in verse 22. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. So now we find that Jesus was the promised Messiah. Jesus was the promised Messiah. That's what this quotation is about. He says, this is the first time, you get this a lot. If you were to read all of Matthew's gospel, you'll hear over and over again, this fulfills that which was spoken by the prophet saying this. See, Matthew's gospel was written to a largely Jewish audience. And so Matthew's gospel was full of quotations, prophetic fulfillment from the Old Testament, full of it. So here he quotes Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Behold, a virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Now, I could bore you with some of the discussions about how Isaiah 7.14 relates to Jesus and did the Hebrew word Alma, does it really mean virgin or does it mean a young maiden? And there's, for those of you who are Bible students and scholars in those ways, uh, people write all sorts of articles and books on this topic. But what you find when you're studying the scriptures is that oftentimes God fulfills scriptures in ways that we just don't quite understand. That's the problem with the interpretation of God's prophetic word. You got to think that you have the entire Old Testament, and when Jesus came, the people who were the most studious in it didn't even realize it. They rejected Jesus as the fulfillment of all this prophecy. Now, don't get me wrong. I think we should study the word but I think we should let the word stand and hold our interpretations of prophetic fulfillment with open hands. How many people thought that the book of Revelation was going to be fulfilled at Y2K? <laughs> Some of you guys are still eating spam from those days. <laughs> we need to study, but we have to make sure we hold it with an open hand. See, the virgin birth was prophesied in Isaiah chapter 7. People just didn't realize it. I noticed they'll call him Emmanuel, a descriptive name, which means God with us. That's who Jesus is. Jesus is God with us. The almighty God taking on human limitations and living in our midst while being fully God and simultaneously fully human. 
It's amazing. If you read the Old Testament, you read all the scriptures about God saving us, and I'm the only Savior, and I will share my glory with nobody else, and all these things, and you think to yourself, how can the Messiah save us if only God will do it, and only God is the Savior? It's because God became a man, and that was in the heart of God before the foundations of the earth, and that's who Jesus is, and I'm here to tell you, if Jesus is the promised Messiah, and I believe that he is, if he is, then what have you done with Jesus? Have you said, I'm going to follow him? I'm going to commit my life to him? There's a common phrase that we hear in church that says, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. And there's some people who feel like, well, he's my Savior, but not my Lord, which means I've assented to believe in him, but I have not placed myself under his authority. If Jesus is who he says he is, who the Bible teaches he is, then you and I have a great responsibility as to how we answer the question of who he is. And really all God asks us to do is simply respond to Jesus. If he's the Lord and Savior, we say, yes, Lord. Why? Because no Lord is an oxymoron. There's no such thing as no Lord. If he's the Lord, it's only yes. Yes, Lord. So Jesus was the promised Messiah. And look at what happens. In verse 24 and 25, it says, Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son and he called his name Jesus. So Jesus was a foster child. Joseph was concerned. Jesus was the promised Messiah. And then now Joseph honored God. Joseph honored God. Why? Look at what happens. Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took him his wife. In all the mess that this pregnancy was, Joseph gets up. He stops all of his planning, all of his, how am I going to do this? How am I going to divorce Mary? He stops all of it. And he takes to himself Mary as his wife. He's not afraid of the messiness that is in front of him. He's not scared of it at all. Instead, he embraces what God is doing. And he honors God by being obedient. And notice what it says in verse 25, and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Notice this. It says that Joseph did not consummate their marriage until after Jesus was born. And it's interesting that Matthew goes to such great lengths to say, listen, there was no hanky-panky, even though it had been totally okay until after Jesus was born. Because in no way did the Holy Spirit, through the gospel writers, want anybody to think that there was some sort of a loophole to be able to say that Jesus was Joseph's biological son. Jesus is I want to thank you so much for listening to Jesus at Israel Radio. It's exciting to me that you would take the time to listen to this. It is my distinct hope that each one of us would simply respond to Jesus. That's a big idea for me, for Crossroads Community Church, and for Jesus Israel Radio. 
that each one of us would meet with Jesus, what I like to say, at street level. Because Jesus is right where you are. He is right there in the middle of your situation and in the middle of your circumstances. Jesus is right there. And Jesus wants each one of us to learn how to simply respond to him. What that means is that at every moment, Jesus prompts us and we take that step. And it's my hope for you as you're listening to this program that you would find yourself each day simply responding to Jesus more and more. You'll become more loving, more kind, more gracious, more generous, not just financially, but in every single area of your life. You'd find yourself desiring to serve others and not just hoping that everyone is there to serve you. When we simply respond to Jesus, we become closer and closer and closer to who God created us to be. And so we say that Jesus is real, and He is, and He exists right where you are, and He is inviting you to partner with Him in recreating the world. So Jesus wants to change the world, and He is looking for available people, people like you and like me. So please, as you listen, simply respond to Jesus and engage yourself in the work of God's kingdom in your community and your world. God bless you so much.